say is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damned who went. Taking your right to self defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn into guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damned who went. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And it is Christmas Eve, ladies and gentlemen. This will be the last time we get together before the Christmas holiday has concluded. So, welcome aboard. Hope you're having a great holiday season, whatever holidays you may have been celebrating. And uh, as a Christian, of course, my primary focus is on Christmas. So, all the good tidings of joy, peace, and love I'm sending out to each and every one of you, regardless of who you may be. And hopefully, those are feelings that you'll you'll feel deep inside that'll make you feel all warm and fuzzy and like the Grinch, your heart will grow uh, ten sizes that day uh, instead of just three. And, uh, you know, in a, a metaphorical way, not a really kind of bad for your health kind of way. <laughs> all right. Uh, lots of stuff to get to today. Obviously, uh, uh, normally, this is not an hour that we would be broadcasting at. Uh, I typically here recently have been doing Thursdays instead of Fridays. Uh, ended up having some scheduling conflicts that had me a later start than normal, but I was going to go ahead and do the Thursday show. And then I ended up with some technical issues that made it kind of difficult to proceed. So 
here we are on a Friday morning. It is Christmas Eve. I got the day off from the day job, so not having to swing down there uh, early, so we don't have to wait till late to do this. And so very glad to have each and every one of you here with me. Now, I am struggling with a little bit of a cold, and I kind of got a little bit of a sore throat going with. So if I go in and out a little more than the norm, a little more than usual, please bear with me and forgive me. Uh, I'm trying to keep some warm beverages against the back of my throat and trying to do all those uh, healthy things uh, to get better faster, you know, uh, most of which I'm doing all the time. But, uh, yeah, every now and then something sneaks through the old defenses, and that's where I'm at. So bear with me if I start sounding a little nasally because of the congestion or... If I uh, start cracking and creeping and kind of difficulty <laughs> in the event that my throat goes completely out. But regardless of all that, I'm just saying, hey, this is how much I love you guys and how much I wanted to give you one more holiday message before the Christmas holiday pass. So thank you so much for being here. As always, I am greatly humbled by that fact. And if you happen to be listening uh, on uh, radio stations across the country, like, I don't know, for example, KYAH 540 AM Utah's Talk Authority, just as a, an example that always comes to mind because they were the first uh, terrestrial radio station to become part of the Tap Into the Truth broadcast family. Uh, I want to thank you guys for uh, hanging out with us while I bring a little East Tennessee flavor to Utah's Talk Authority. And thank you so much for being here. But if you are hearing the rebroadcast, then that's exactly what you're hearing, is a rebroadcast. So in the event that something sounds a little dated by the time you hear it, just for your benefit, the time of the live broadcast is indeed, although I've already mentioned, uh, it is December 24th. It is 2021, and I am happy to be here. Let's jump into things. Got a few quick hitters before we get into today's primary topics. So let's start with Intel. Shall we? Oh, well, yes, Tim. We should always start with intelligence. We should. No, no, no. The tech company, the computer chip maker, Intel. Uh, they made some headlines and ruffled some feathers uh, over the course of the last few days as they decided that they were going to, you know, stand in line alongside with uh, U.S. law. Uh, we have a law that has recently been signed by the current occupier of the White House, uh, Operation P-Pads. Uh, that's a Biden. Uh, he signed into law the Wigger Forced Labor Prevention Act. That was, of course, sponsored by Senator Marco Rubio and Senator Jeff uh, Merkley. Uh, a Democrat from Oregon. They got together to pass this law that would ban imports from the uh, Chinese provinces where Uyghur slave labor is being utilized. Uh, the idea here was to impose sanctions on any individuals responsible for forced labor in the region. So even the way they wrote the bill, they weren't specific about China. They didn't call China out. In the bill, in, in, in Congress, in, in the Senate, and that, that angers me. But it's the only way that Joe Biden would sign it. It's the only way the Democrats would go along. Well, of course we don't like slave labor happening anywhere around the world, but, but we can't call out China by name. 
So literally, the law says that uh, it's uh, going to issue these sanctions on foreign individuals responsible for forced labor in the region. Who else? What other foreign individuals are operating within China that are utilizing slave labor in that specific province? Who else would it be? I mean, you're naming them without naming them by name. I mean, you really are. So it's utterly ridiculous to take that half measure. But, you know, we've talked before about how virtue signaling is a whole lot of mixed messaging. But it turns out that when Intel sent out uh, a letter to its suppliers to stop procuring products that were the labor of this forced effort, well, uh, it ruffled some feathers in China. In fact, uh, a Chinese celebrity, whose name I'm not even going to attempt, uh, who happens to be the face of Intel, decided to quit. Said, nope, this is about national interest. Yes, unfortunately, your national interest is the Chinese Communist Party, my friend. So now the Chinese partners with Intel were mad. And so then what does Intel do? They then send out an apology to everyone in China, thinking, hoping that we here in the United States wouldn't find out about it. They were hoping we wouldn't know. They should know by now all of this media is international. There's nothing you're going to do in China on a social media platform that we hear back in the States and, and our friends in Europe and our friends to the north and everyone else around the world, if they are so inclined, they can find out. We will know easily. So we know they sent out an apology along with an explanation that this letter wasn't intended to be anything of hostility directed towards the Chinese people. It's merely an attempt to make sure that they're in compliance with U.S. law. Okay, how about this? Say, hey guys, sorry if it bothered you, but this is the law over here, and uh, we tend to think it's a pretty damn good law. How about that, Intel? How about you guys step up and say, hey, guys, we love doing business in China if China wasn't one of the worst human rights abusers on the planet. We love the Chinese people. We hate the Chinese Communist Party, and we hate all the intentions and the darkness and the evil that's being procured by the Chinese Communist Party. The CCP is the problem. How about uh, something like that? Well, except, of course, since the CCP runs China, that would be the end of Intel's business there. But, again, you've issued an apology. And if we know anything about cancel culture, and I'm pretty sure the CCP is pretty good at cancel culture themselves, that as soon as you issue the apology, you're done. You stand a much better chance of riding out the storm if you're defiant, if you stand Firm to your guns that you're on a you're standing on a principle that makes sense to the rest of the world. Because if anybody deserves to be canceled in this scenario, it is the CCP. And now by by the whole confluence of your apology, making it sound like, well, we don't really care about slave labor. We just have to make sure that the United States doesn't kick us out. We have to make sure that we're not paying fines 
that could bankrupt the company if we continue to do business uh, involving folks operating in that province. But really, if you guys can come up with a secret workaround, which I guarantee you the CCP started immediately and probably already have in place, well, yes, yes, we're just going to move an office uh, for this company outside of here, and we're going to create such a ridiculous paper trail about where items are actually being sourced and produced and where the labor is coming from that it would take years to untangle. I'm quite certain something like that's already on the table. So all you really had to do is step up and say, hey, guys, it's, it's the U.S. law. We, we love doing business with you. But see, that's the problem too, isn't it? That's the real problem because I'm sorry, Intel, but you should not want to do business anywhere where slave labor is a primary source of goods and services being produced. All right, another quick hitter out there, Texas refinery explosion that uh, recently happened. Uh, they're already trying to uh, say that this is probably going to lead to a spike in gas prices. No big surprise there. Uh, we've got the Boston mayor who's implying that the Vax mandate protesters chanting USA were fueled by hatred and fear and confusion. Mm, I'm going to push back a little on that. I'm thinking that if you're chanting USA, it's because you believe in the fundamental principles that the nation was founded on. Or you're at a WWE event in the 1980s and Hulk Hogan's taking on the Iron Sheik. I mean, it's one of those situations, right? When people start chanting USA, it's representational of enjoying and expecting and demanding your God-given freedoms that the U.S. Constitution is supposed to protect. However... Mayor Michelle Wu doesn't seem to understand that. She told Boston Public Radio that it was hatred, fear, confusion, and anti-Asian sentiment that fueled the protesters who were chanting USA and saying the Star-Spangled Banner in City Hall earlier that week. The whole time that she was announcing a new mandate that will require city workers to receive the COVID-19 vaccine and businesses to require patrons to be fully, fully, to be fully vaccinated. I'm sorry, maybe, Mayor Wu, it's not about anti-Asian sentiment. Maybe it's not about confusion or fear. Maybe it's about the fact that these vaccines... These vaccine mandates, I'm getting tongue-tied today, these vaccine mandates are unconstitutional. And it doesn't matter if the Supreme Court ends up siding with or against the mandates. They're still unconstitutional. The Constitution hasn't changed. What has changed is the people that are at the the levers of power, the levers of authority in positions where they're supposed to uphold and adhere to the Constitution, they have evolved the idea and notion of what their job is. You have a chief justice who's more concerned about maintaining the integrity of the court. But no, that's the words he says. 
because if the court's integrity was being upheld, then the court would be siding with the Constitution 100% of the time, regardless of public opinion. Whether it made the leftist upset or whether it made conservatives upset, you would simply side with the Constitution, period, end of that discussion. That's not what they do. They're worried about precedent. Even non-Supreme <laughs> Court-related precedent. They're more worried about what if we decided before? What if other courts decided how about you just decide based on the evidence that's in front of you, the arguments that are being made, and, oh yeah, one more time, the freaking Constitution. How about that? Too much to ask? Tell me, Justice Roberts, do you even understand what the word integrity means? And I don't mean personal integrity, although maybe you... you might do you some good to look that one up, too. I mean, when you say things like protecting the integrity of the court, do you know what that actually means? Do you know what that entails? You supposedly have enough experience as a judge before you get nominated, let alone confirmed and become a Supreme Court justice, that you should have a fundamental understanding of protecting the integrity of the judicial system. of protecting the judiciary in its entirety. The entire federal system, when you have the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, your primary concern as a justice on the Supreme Court is supposed to be the judicial branch as a whole. Protecting the integrity there isn't about activism. It isn't about uh, social engineering. It isn't about picking a side on the debate of whether or not the Constitution is a living, breathing document. It's about simply looking at what's in the Constitution and using common sense. Because you don't have to be – that's the dirty little secret I'm about to say. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand the Constitution. It's actually written in pretty simple, straightforward language, and it means what it said at the time it was written. And anything that's even the least bit ambiguous, it typically defines. When you talk about uh, in order to maintain a well-regulated militia, that is a preamble. That is a preamble. It is not the amendment itself. We're talking about the Second Amendment here, clearly. In order to maintain a well-regulated militia. But who was the militia at the time? It wasn't a military unit. It was everybody old enough to hold a gun, even women if need be. That's who the militia was. And I put it like that because a lot of people have misunderstandings of the opinions and sociopolitical ideas and views towards women at the time. Women weren't particularly treated like equals at that point in time, and uh, generally, you wouldn't think of a woman as being part of a militia anywhere, especially in that time frame. But the bottom line is the militia was a carefully chosen word because militia means civilian soldiers. But, you know, uh, the left constantly trying to change up the meaning of words. We get it. But my gosh... This individual, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu, 
a Democrat, of course. She said, I've grown up my whole life knowing what it feels like to feel invisible or othered. And this is an experience that far too many Americans share. Standing at the podium, hearing the demonstrators who were opposing our policies, singing patriotic songs and chanting USA, the message was clear that we don't belong here in their eyes. We shouldn't be trying to take away something that they perceive they have and are losing. I, what? The message is clear, Mayor Wu. The message is clear that singing patriotic songs and chanting USA is meant to send you a message. It's not that you don't belong, unless, of course, they've decided you don't deserve to be mayor and shouldn't be mayor if you're going to keep pushing control like this, unconstitutional control, extra-constitutional power grabs. And, hey, why not? The federal government's been doing it for decades now. So why not? Yeah, but— I love the fact that uh, pundits are out here talking about how Republicans are the ones trying to destroy uh, the republic, and yet it's always a Democrat that's completely ignoring the Constitution. How is that possible that you have such a disconnect? Which is why I tend to think it's not you being ignorant. It's not you being dumb. It's you being intentionally dishonest to try and convince a bunch of people that simply aren't paying close enough attention. Period. You're not being othered. You're not being. You're the mayor of a major American city. How invisible could you be? Oh well, I grew up feeling that way. You had to get to become the mayor somehow. You took steps to get there, right? Didn't just poof. Okay, it's your turn. I I've been to Boston a few times. Haven't spent a whole lot of time there. Mostly stopping off on my way up to uh, Gloucester and uh, into uh, Salem. Been a few times. First couple of times were really cool. Uh, change of company after those first couple of trips, which I have to admit, it took away some of the fun and enjoyment. But the point of the matter is, having been there, I'm pretty sure they just don't randomly walk down and just choose somebody off the street. Hey, you're mayor this uh this term. I don't want to be mayor. You're the mayor. Congratulations. Come on, uh, Miss Mayor. Uh, you get to be uh, in front of the podium and have people chant USA at you because clearly they hate Asians in a city that elected you. There are plenty of people that typically vote Democratic that are part of the anti-mandate protest everywhere across the country. There is a high percentage of individuals in those crowds that are out there protesting the mandates that are vaccinated already or actually have taken the jab. Because you know what? I'm tired of playing these word games. I know the CDC and Fauci uh, had them change the definition of the word vaccine and vaccination so that technically it would apply to the Moderna and to the uh, Pfizer uh, jabs. But at the end of the day, they're therapeutics. They're not vaccines 
They don't fit the definition as the definition existed before they changed it. And I'm tired of everybody on the left changing the definition of words to suit them and to try and manipulate people and to try to win arguments by controlling the conversation because you keep changing the the meaning of the words. I'm tired of it. I I don't want to play that game anymore. But you want to call this a vaccine, so let's play that game with you just a little bit longer. Let's call it a vaccine and then say that By the definition, it's not a vaccine. Therefore, call it what it actually is. Stop being dishonest. Stop trying to to win. But you guys want to call it a vaccine? Okay, for just a little bit, let's say it's a vaccine, and this is a vaccine mandate. And uh, there's a reason why better than half of the people that are protesting your mandates already have full vaccination levels, and many of them have had COVID already to boot. At this point, they should have super immunity, but they're still against the mandate, and I don't know why it's so freaking hard for people in government to understand. Truth of the matter is, the people in government do understand. So why do we have the problem with uh, the media? Why do we have news outfits out there acting like, well, this is just anti-vaxxer rhetoric? They're going to say what I'm saying right now is anti-vaxxer rhetoric. When I'm simply trying to point out that there's a difference between a vaccine being available and you being encouraged reasonably to uh, take a vaccine, just speaking in general now, not the specifics of COVID-19, there's a huge difference between saying, hey, you know what, this is available, you really should take it. We've taken steps to make it uh, available to you at no cost to you, which is also not exactly true. Taxpayer dollars paid for it. So if you're a taxpayer, you better you better make sure that you're getting your money's worth out of it. That's all I'm saying. However you choose to do that. But there's a big difference between saying, hey, it's here. We're, we're making it as easy as possible for you to get it. We want you to be healthy. <clears throat> I know that's giving them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but between all of that and then turn around and saying, you must, you will comply. That's where most Americans, regardless of how they typically vote, regardless of how they feel about the idea of getting a jab, that's where most Americans stand up and say, now hold on just a dadgum minute. Only they might use saltier language than that, of course. And um, I'm going to say rightfully so. It is absolutely positively the correct thing to do to stand up and push back against mandates of this kind. Now, there's precedent for states and for counties to be allowed or be to, to legally mandate this type of health-regarded, not health-regarded, health-related type of mandate. That still doesn't make that correct either, but the precedent is there. There is no such precedent for the federal government to be allowed to do this, even though the left has said over and over again there is. Well, there's not. The only time the federal government's had the authority to insist on vaccinations, when they were actual vaccinations, by the way, was involving the military and federal government employees which the military technically is a federal government employee, but I'm just including the umbrella. But they didn't have that power or authority to tell the average private sector employed individual that they have to. And there's a reason for that. It's called liberty. 
It's called a constitutionally federated republic that has limits on the power that the federal government has. Not a hard concept to understand. All right, anyway, uh, going to finish up the quick hits real quick. Going to stay in the city of Boston. There's an elite Boston all-girls school that's now discouraging everyone from calling girls girls. All right, so there's this elite girls' school in Boston, and they don't want the teachers addressing female students as girls, saying that they should respect the girls' preferred pronouns. The Windsor School, a top private girls' school in the Fenway-Kenmore neighborhood of Boston, issued the guidance on gendered language in a report on diversity, equity, and inclusion at the school this past fall. Now, again, we've discussed on multiple occasions, and I'm sure you've heard from multiple other conservative hosts, that whenever you hear the phrase diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's time to run. Do not listen. Put your fingers in your ear and start going, da-da-da-da, I can't hear you because you're full of crap. And that would be the appropriate response, by the way. Now, uh, quoting here from the Windsor Report, Although Windsor remains in its mission a school for young women to pursue their aspirations and contribute to the world, the school recognizes the importance of inclusive language. Windsor has, for example, adopted changes to its use of gendered language and pronouns to be more inclusive. External publications and communications have moved away from using she, hers, hers, and your daughter, replacing the former with they, them, theirs, and the latter with students. The faculty and staff are discouraged from addressing groups of students as girls and ladies, and teachers address students by their preferred pronouns. I often say that the responsibility that we have as Windsor educators, as adults in the school, is to help students understand the very, very complex question, who am I? A pretty simple question, but it is so layered thinking about who I am in terms of my gender and gender identity. Who am I in terms of my racial identity? Who am I in terms of my class? This from Julie Braxton, Windsor's Director of Community and Inclusion. Okay, first of all, if your gender identity is not female... You shouldn't be permitted in an all-female school. Oh, but now I suppose you must acknowledge that uh, boys can be girls, but we can't say girls. So now is it even an all-girls school anymore? I mean, by definition, once you embrace that rather circular logic that the left loves so much because it doesn't make any logical sense at all anyway, if you fully embrace it, don't you have to start just letting everyone in? I identify as a female genius, despite the fact that I'm actually a male athlete with an IQ of 17, but I can run really fast. Put me on the Windsor track team. We'll win gold. And uh, 
grade my test performance according to my identity of genius, not according to my performance in the academic classroom. After all, only, only then are you being truly inclusive, equitable, and fair. Or I'm out of my ever-loving mind. One of the two. You can decide. Now, of course, the school was founded back in 1886. Windsor consistently ranks among the top schools in the country, with nearly a third of Windsor graduates going on to attend Ivy League universities. And in 2010, Forbes named Windsor the 10th best prep school in the country. Now, some of the notable alumni uh, that have attended the school include uh, Tinley Albright, an Olympic gold medalist, uh, Hillary uh, Brigham, Birmingham, Hillary Birmingham, uh, a film director, and of course the former Vogue editor Barbara Cushing's Mortimer Parley. Tuition at this school, an all-girls school that now is no longer going to use the word girl, even though I'm pretty sure they're not going to start letting guys in anytime soon. Tuition there is $53,900 a year. message on their homepage, on their website, says that they're empowering girls to lead lives of purpose. Obviously, they haven't gotten around to editing the gendered language on the website yet. The Windsor School's mission is to educate girls to be intellectually curious, motivated, and generous-minded. That's their strategic vision. With all that going on, they still have yet to understand a very simple and basic premise. They are an all-girls school, and therefore, gendered language should be okay. And if there's any of your students that are there and are questioning what their gender truly is, teach them a little science first. See if they take to the notion of XX chromosome equals female, regardless of anything else. You can teach them that, and if that doesn't stick then you can tell them that maybe they'd be a better fit at another school. One not quite so prestigious. One that's willing to accept the notions that you, as an individual, are allowed to ignore the realities of biology. Now, there are schools like that that exist. Most of them, gasp, most of them aren't private. So, hey, two things. Put them in a school where the intellectual level uh, is on par and where it's going to save mommy and daddy a, a lot of money. All right. With that being said, guess what? It is time for me to take a break. You guys don't go anywhere. I'll be right back on the uh, other side of this very, very brief break. <laughs> This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap Into The Truth, wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas and hopefully a very Happy New Year. Have a holly jolly Christmas, it's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas, and when you walk down the street, Say hello to friends you know 
and everyone you meet. George Washington Carver wrote the famous quote, Where there is no vision, there is no hope. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Browns Coffee, the one you want in your cup. The United States of America was founded primarily upon principles that enabled those of thrift and personal industry to achieve success and more importantly, leave the legacy of being an example of overcoming the odds with God's grace making what was an impossible dream into accomplishment. In my thoughts, I am often reminded of the countless sovereign Americans who refused to allow bitterness and hate to become their life story. Still others rejected the fear of stepping out and boldly traveled the road of success in their lives. To my fellow Americans, I beseech you to embrace God's gift of life in this, the greatest nation ever known, and let us seek providential guidance and grand vision of greatness and seize it. If we do, the United States of America will be great again, so help us God. I'm Ron Edwards. Enjoy the Ron Edwards American Experience 3 p.m. Eastern Time daily. To find out where, go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. This is Tim Tapp wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas, a very Happy New Year. Hello, this is Dan Perkins for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Tip of the Day. What veterans who are homeless or at risk of homelessness should do for help? Veterans who are homeless or at imminent risk of homelessness are strongly encouraged to contact the National Call-In Center for Homeless Veterans at 877-4-AID-VET. That's 877-424-3838 for assistance. If a veteran does not have access to a phone or the Internet, only then are they to visit the closest VA medical center without calling in advance. All veterans should contact their VA medical center before visiting for any reason. These steps are necessary to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So here's your veterans tip of the day. Contact the VA at 877-424-3838 for more information. The VA wants to help. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day.
This is Tim Tapp, host of Tap Into The Truth, wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas and hopefully a very Happy New Year. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. I want to take a quick moment to uh, send you in the direction of a great company called Fine Tuxedos. Now, if you have big-time New Year's plans and you feel the need to get dressed up, then maybe a tuxedo's in order. Uh, you might almost be too late to, to get in on that, given the time involved, but there is no reason why you shouldn't buy a brand-name, great-fitting tuxedo for, in lots of cases, as much as or maybe occasionally even less than it would cost you to rent one. And if you don't need a whole tuxedo, you still should check out Fine Tuxedos because they have shirts, vests, bow ties, shoes, various other accessories available, as well as a boys shop in particular. And, uh, you know, you should shop for various occasions. Whether you're getting ready for the prom upcoming, I mean, it's a little ways off, I get it, but you should always be prepared. Maybe you've got a wedding coming up. Maybe you want to uh, dress a little snazzy for Mardi Gras. They even have styles available for St. Patrick's Day. So what I'm asking you to do is, in today's show description, you are going to see a link that uh, is out beside Fine Tuxedos. Uh, I'm not going to have the link active, but if you will copy that link in its entirety, paste that bad boy into your uh, browsing uh, directory, you'll be able to, to hit that and go visit. And the reason I need you to copy and paste the link is so that they know that I'm the one who sent you. But go check out what's going on at Fine Tuxedos, uh, and remember to use that link so that the connection is made, so that you can get something that you really need at a great price, and you can also help support the show. And going into the new year, who doesn't want to elevate the game and dress a little sharper and actually own some of these uh, fancy uh, prepared uh, clothing items uh, instead of just having to rent them? Who knows who's worn it before? Who knows if they really laundered it properly before you rented it again? I mean, we all have seen the horror stories, right? Even if you don't think you need a tuxedo, the truth of the matter is, if you're a guy and you have children or if you are in business, then uh, you probably do need a tuxedo. You don't have to bring it out all the time, but I'm just saying. So uh, go check out Fine Tuxedos. And if you're not listening to the podcast then you can do the same thing that I often remind you. Uh, go visit tapintothetruth.com when you have that opportunity. That's T-A-P-P, intothetruth.com, and uh, click on the Fine Tuxedos banner that you will see on the homepage. And now, with that having been said, what do you say we get back to the show? Uh, once again, I have taken up a, a majority of this first hour with things that were meant to be quick hits. I seem to have a lot to say about stuff that I feel like uh, it's worth mentioning. I'm going to have to work on that, cut it back, or start doing much longer shows, one or the other. Maybe a bonus content show today. We'll see if we get there. One of the big stories, though, that uh, broke as we went into the Christmas uh, uh, holidays here was uh, ex-police officer Kim Potter was found guilty in the death of Dwayne Wright. Now, the former police officer, Kim Potter, was found guilty of first and second degree manslaughter in the death of Dante Wright. This came down on Thursday. So this was yesterday as of the time of the live broadcast. 
The jury's decision comes after roughly 27 hours of deliberation. The deliberation began back on Monday of this past week uh, after closing arguments from the prosecution and Potter's defense team. Potter's sentencing is scheduled for February 18th. The first-degree charge carries a potential sentence of up to 15 years. The second degree carries a maximum sentence of 10 years. Now, the trial mostly wrapped up uh, last week on Friday after Potter testified in her own defense. And during her testimony, she broke down multiple times expressing remorse for what happened on April 11th when she fatally shot Wright, a 20-year-old black man. Now, Potter shot Wright while attempting to tase the young man as he struggled with an attempt to flee the police. Potter's defense team has never contested that she mistakenly pulled her gun when she meant to pull her taser, and that the mistake led to Wright's death. Instead, the defense has painted a sympathetic picture of a person uh, stuck in a chaotic and dangerous situation where a split-second decision had to be made. The prosecution argued that Potter's lethal mistake is, in fact, grossly negligent and inexcusable. This was no oopsie, quoting now. This was not putting the wrong date on a check. This was not entering the wrong password. This was a colossal screw-up, a blunder of epic proportions. It was precisely the thing she was warned about for years. It was irreversible, and it was fatal. That, of course, the prosecutor, Aaron Eldridge. Now, Potter was one of several police officers who stopped Wright on April 11th. The stop, of all things, was over an expired registration tag. So while checking his information, authorities discovered that Wright had an open warrant for a gun charge that was uh, still open for his arrest, right? So Wright struggled with the officers after they attempted to detain him. Wright got back into his vehicle and continued to struggle with one officer over the gear shift of the vehicle. As the two struggled, Potter pulled her gun and, after shouting, Taser, she fatally shot him. Now, Potter broke down multiple times while she was testifying. In one exchange with Eldridge, Potter began to apologize for killing Wright. The exchange really was, I suppose, it, it did come across as being very, very heartfelt, right? It was very sincere. But here's the situation. Uh, I have mixed feelings on this guilty verdict. And, uh, you know, ultimately, I think we're all going to have to end up talking about this and deciding for ourselves what is the correct thing to do. Because on the one hand, I have a very hard time. I have a very hard time convicting a police officer of shooting somebody and taking their life away when under normal circumstances this would have been considered a clean shoot. And make no mistake about it, this would have been a clean shoot. In fact, that has been stated on multiple occasions. The prosecution in this case has never even refuted that fact, that it was in fact a clean shoot. What's at issue here is that she messed up and was going for her taser. She was trying to avoid lethal force. So does that make this egregious? And it does to a degree because here's the thing. 
I have often said behind this microphone, we always have to strive to keep in mind that police officers are still human beings. They're people. And they're going to have emotional responses as well as uh, responses that you hope they fall back on their training. You hope that the muscle memory takes over. You hope that everything works out the way it's supposed to. But as human beings, we know that in panic situations, especially when the adrenaline starts pumping, you can't guarantee that. This young man was a criminal. This young man had an open warrant. And this young man, after being detained over the uh, registration tag, was willing to drag this police officer down the road with him if he could have gotten free to start this vehicle up. He's willing to do that in an effort to get away because he didn't want to go to jail. I mean, the simple idea, the notion, the, the, just, just, you know, letting, letting this basic concept float out there. If you don't want to go to jail, how about you don't be a criminal? No, there's no guarantee that that's going to save you from it completely because we know innocent people go to jail all the freaking time. But if you're not a criminal, you're far less likely to be in a situation where you're going to go to jail. It's got to be, what, close to 90%? If you just don't be a criminal, 90% of the chances of you going to jail is eliminated right there. This guy was a criminal, and he was willing to hurt this police officer. Grave I mean, in the effort to drag him down the road in this car, the police officer could have fell out, could have got run over, could have been killed. So, again, if she had intended to draw the gun, this would have been marked up as a clean shoot. For better or for worse. But the point here is, as a human being in an emotional situation, I'm going to tell you one more thing because I've heard a lot of people say, there's no way you grab your gun and not know it's, the, it's not the taser. Put yourself into that situation and get your adrenaline pumping, and I promise you, I promise you that you're pulling that trigger before you realize that's not the taser. Yes, the taser's lighter than the gun, Tim. You're going to know the difference. Not if you're all jacked up on adrenaline. That gun feels a heck of a lot lighter when your adrenaline is pumping. Somebody like this officer could lift a car off of a small child once the adrenaline's going. You want to tell me that she's going to notice instantly the difference in the weight? So I'm going to tell you, from the perspective of her being a human being in a bad situation, it is something that could reasonably happen. That is not by definition, right off the bat, a criminal action. If she hadn't, at any point in time, talked about taser, 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 if she hadn't at any point in time said, I meant to grow for my taser, this wouldn't have gotten to this point. So I have a hard time saying, okay, well, you know, because she did say these things, because her intention was actually to try to be non-lethal, then she should be held accountable. So I have a hard time with that. But you see, then it takes me to that next part where my, my mixed feelings come in. Because I have also said on multiple occasions behind this microphone, while they are just people, they are by definition people that we should hold to a higher standard and should be held accountable when they screw up. I don't know that her going to prison for 15, 20, 30 years is the appropriate thing for the level of screw-up here. 
if this individual that she shot had been an innocent person caught up in a mistake, then yeah, throw the dadgum book at her. But this was somebody that was guilty of a criminal offense and was trying to escape police custody and was willing to injure, harm, and potentially kill one of the police officers involved. So I'm not quite as hardcore on what holding her accountable should look like. Part of what makes this situation even worse is she was a training officer. She was responsible for training other people. She should, in fact, be intimately aware of where everything on her belt is, which holster is holding what. She should know those things before she goes out into the field. What I'm afraid here is as a training officer, her muscle memory took over, and while she was uh, trying to work through the situation where I need to be less lethal, her her actual instinct went to, I have to stop the threat now. This is how you do it. So she should be held accountable. Is, is first and second degree manslaughter the right thing here? I'm thinking third degree manslaughter might be appropriate. Because the other side of the argument, they were going for murder, and there was clearly no premeditation. That much was clear based on everything. But the problem here still, to me, comes back to the fact that if she hadn't said, Taser, if she hadn't said afterwards that she was trying to get her Taser, if she hadn't said those things, there would have been some dust up with the local authorities. They would have probably made it a national story because here's a white police officer formally, who shot a young black man. Criminal, but uh, that's the ones they like to hold up. They would have still demanded justice. There would have been march on the streets. There would have been uh, the next George Floyd here. But she would not have legitimately deserved to be convicted of anything because, again, clean shoot. You don't got to like it, but that doesn't make it any less true clean shoot so just because she screwed up with everything else perfectly in play if nothing else changes in this scenario if there is not one thing that is different in this scenario other than her admitting as that she was trying to use her taser then this is not a crime so why are we treating it like well, because it became an act of negligence when you grab your gun, when you're meaning to grab your taser. So, yeah, I keep I, I'm wrestling with myself here. I keep going back and forth. Yeah, police officers need to know that every time they reach for something on their belt, they better be certain what it is they're grabbing. Police officers need to know that when you are in that situation, you have had training to the point that you're supposed to be able to stay calm and to stay clear-headed, and to make the correct decisions. And it's tough. Again, I want to remind you, human beings still. Human beings, especially if they're not in those situations very often, you can train and train and train, but the first time it's for real, it's a whole new ball game. And unless you've been in a situation uh, even remotely similar to it, you have no idea. So it's really hard for somebody who's been fortunate in their lives to never have a gun pointed at them, 
never tried to run away from the police. If you're in one of those situations, then you don't know what any of this is like. And so your opinion, it, it needs to be filtered and based on any data that you can find. And you need to try and be as considerate of everything as possible. Did this young man deserve to die under the circumstance? Well, probably not. But again, why are you running, son? You know, it just still goes back to his decision to try to get away from the police instead of just being taken into custody for the open warrant. An open warrant that I'm pretty certain he must have known about. I mean, not too many people walking around with warrants right now who don't know about them. Lots of people say they don't, but there's not too many that don't know. I mean, you might have a legitimate bench warrant where you were supposed to... uh, appear in court and you forgot all about your court date and so then there's a a warrant issued maybe you don't know that because you forgot you were supposed to be in court in the first place i can actually see that happen considering the time between court dates but a gun charge open warrant that's that's not a bench warrant that's not a failure to appear kind of situation something you did know about So again, I, I keep going back and forth on this one. I, I don't I don't necessarily think she should walk away without some consequences. I just I don't know if this is the appropriate consequence. I don't know that this is the right thing to do under this circumstance. Again, so many other things that if they were just a little different would change this scenario drastically. So ultimately, eh, you're going to have to kind of decide for yourself. And hey, I don't think anybody's going to be wrong with how they feel about this unless you're just an activist and you just tend to say, well, automatically, white cop, black man equals racism. That's not what happened here. Now, there are occasions when maybe that equation holds true, but it's not an automatic. And that's the part we really got to address, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we've got to change now. We are drawing the end of the first hour, which means it's time to reset. Uh, since most of the radio stations out there hear the show, uh, you know, in one-hour increments, that typically means that, um, well, it means that this is going to have to be goodbye for those of you listening on the radio. Uh, tune in again tomorrow to hear hour number two of today's broadcast. In the meanwhile, uh, remember... Don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain. Remember to stay safe out there, ladies and gentlemen, and remember to stay as healthy as you can, and, uh, you know, uh, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. If you're listening to the podcast, obviously don't go anywhere. Hour number two starts right after this. Meanwhile, uh, love you guys, and Merry Christmas.
today is in a crucial stage. It's not because of foreign wars we wage. It's more to do with the colors blue and red. Too many laws and too much government. Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread. So many people trying to cross the border. Politicians build a new world order. Too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damned you win. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are, whatever you may be doing, uh, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you, as always, I am your ever so humble host, Tim Tap, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And it is the Christmas holiday season, uh, time of the live broadcast for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast over terrestrial radio. It is December 24th, 2021. It is Christmas Eve, and it is early in the day, a major departure from the normal broadcast times. So, so glad to have you with me just the same, no matter where you're listening at. I uh, hope you're enjoying. I just now noticed that I had the intro turned down uh, to about the half level, so I hope it was loud enough for everybody. Apologies. Um not going to go back and try to edit that. My proficiency with the edit, editing software is getting better, um, but my uh, my tech has been acting a little wonky here lately. So, again, when I ask you to check out some of these uh, companies that I have an affiliate status with, uh, I, I'm asking you to go get something that you really want or possibly even really need and still support the show in a positive way by getting things that you want, not actually just straight up sending me money. Uh, lots of folks are asking for that stuff around the holiday season. Some of them are worthy of it. And I do know that uh, most people feel way more charitable down this time of year. But 
I, for one, am over all of the email solicitations and all of the phone call solicitations. Folks that I have contributed to in the past, every one of them think that I need to do it again. And I get it. I understand they've got big budgets, a lot of these organizations. Uh, they're trying to do uh, – some of them do really, really important things. Obviously, I believed in their mission at one time or another regardless, or I would have never contributed at all. That's not the point. The point of the matter is, is that – more than ever before, it feels like everybody is aggressively panhandling as opposed to just sending out a friendly reminder, hey, you've supported us in the past. Our mission's still ongoing. Hope that you'll find it in your heart to help support us again. We really could use your help. How simple would that be? Now, in because they have these missions, I'm all like, uh, okay, well, do that. I'm good. In fact, I'm more inclined to respond to something like that. I think most people are. I have in the past uh, mentioned uh, you can make a straight contribution to help support the show, help support upgrades in the equipment and uh, things to help improve the show. And if you want to do that, the PayPal link is over at the tapintothetruth.com website. You can hit there. There's also a way to send crypto if you're into cryptocurrencies. Uh, if you have some and you like to uh, spend it in such a way and make contributions like that, those are available over there. But I don't like mentioning them very often because, again, it's just like it, it doesn't feel natural. You know, I'm not very good at self-promotion anyway. I'm really not. I just try to stand on the merit of my work, and sometimes I'm really good, and sometimes uh, I'm not so good. Sometimes the tech makes me sound like I'm not as good as I've really was trying to be, and and all that still comes down to uh, what's the secret of the success of the show. And this show is successful. Uh, my definition of success is continuing to grow. Once I no longer continue to grow, then it's no longer successful in my mind. And, and the show has been very successful. It has continued to grow very slowly. And I've always kind of felt like part of the secret of that success is not quite sounding so super polished, not being that uh, well-rehearsed professional communicator, but you know, just being a regular person behind the microphone. I really think that's also the key to success for a lot of folks out there with really big uh, YouTube channels and uh, who are doing very well because they just get together with folks and they have conversations. And when you just have what sounds like a natural conversation to have and you make uh, good points, I think people gravitate towards that kind of thing if they have an interest in it. And you can create a fandom that way. I, I don't know that there's anybody out there that I could say is a fan of me, uh, but hopefully there's folks that are checking out the show on the regular. The numbers certainly indicate that to be the case, especially on some of the podcasting uh, apps had a uh, major, uh, major uptick recently on Spotify. So again, thank you so much for that. I, I did call out the uh, iHeartRadio folks uh, a little bit on the last, uh, last mention of Spotify, getting a big jump on them, and they have responded. I'm happy to say, no, not as strongly as I would like, though. But the numbers over the past week have uh, have bumped up a little bit over there as well. So just. Remember that uh, if you are a podcast listener or and maybe you're hearing the show over the radio, uh, there's a ton of past broadcasts that are eligible uh, that you can find. So if you listen to podcasts at some platform, please uh, search for Tap Into The Truth, and uh, that's a T-A-P-P, -P, Into The Truth, my name being Tim Tapp, and that's how my last name's spelled. And, uh, you know... Uh, 
find it, uh, subscribe or uh, follow or whatever that particular platform says to do. If you can leave a review, leave a nice review. If you can leave a, a number of stars, you know, leave four or five. I'd prefer five, but uh, uh, if you're going to leave fewer than three, then don't bother with that part. But you know, anything that can uh, kind of help increase the uh, visibility of the show uh, through their algorithms that they use for recommendations. Those kind of things are helpful. They, they really, really do help move the show forward, too. So if you like it well enough to, to, to help me out like that, I'd appreciate that as well. All right, enough of that. I, I'm feeling Christmassy, and there's a lot of stuff I've got to get to. Back in the first hour today, I spent as I often do, way too much time talking about the quick hitters and didn't get to both of the two main stories I wanted to get to in the first hour. So I'm going to be kind of hard-pressed to try and sneak three of them in here, cause, uh, but I'm going to try, which means i got to get started right now. So hang on to your socks, boys and girls. I'm going to, I'm going to forget all that pitter-patter, let's get at her kind of stuff and uh, just go full blow. Uh, starting with, uh, with Joe Biden. Yes, that's right. Beijing Biden uh, starting off the show was going to be it was going to be the second prime story of the first hour. Now he gets to be the, uh, the lead hitter for hour number two today. Uh, President, and I hate using that uh, term, but I'm quoting from the article. President Joe Biden said that he was ready to push forward with the Democrats sweeping overhaul on voting rights and processes. Uh, that, of course, is H.R. 1, which we've been talking about for a while. It's been a, a little while since we've mentioned it because it's been kind of on the legislative back burner for a bit. But this is essentially uh, the Democrats' attempt to nationalize elections and make it impossible for anybody other than a Democrat to ever get elected again. Uh, they won't put it quite like that, but that's really what the plan is. Uh, most of us know that. Funny part is, once again, uh, Congress has decided to give uh, the bill a name that has nothing at all to do with what it actually does. H.R. Uh, 1 is better known as the For the People Act. Uh, so uh, not surprising that Biden is ready to move forward with this because he wants to lay the groundwork to make sure that Democrats can continue to win, whether he runs for re-election or not in the future. But... Uh, what did kind of make headlines is that he also threw in that he was willing to move forward, just push all full steam ahead, even if it meant he had to get behind the idea of changing the Senate rules that would allow his party, the Democrats, to circumvent the filibuster. Now, Joe Biden is a documented plagiarist and liar. Not like how the left constantly accused the orange man who was bad of being a, a liar, but actual, unequivocally called out by his own side liar. And it's not at all surprising when a man who's known for lying becomes a politician and, as a politician, makes campaign promises that he knows he has no intention of. One of those campaign promises, of course, was he was going to shut down the virus. He wasn't going to shut down the economy. He was going to shut down the virus. Another one was that he would never call for vaccine mandates. I'm doing that again. Back in the first hour, he was never going to call for vaccine mandates, not vaccine mandates. Why am I trying to flip those two? I don't know. He was never going to call for vaccine mandates. He, he didn't think that would ever be necessary. And yet 
He's demanding vaccine mandates be put in place for companies over 100 employees. So another one down. Well, he made a few others, one of which is that he would never support ending the filibuster. And yet now, especially with 2022 looming large, I mean, we're about a week away from the new year, and 2022 is going to become a lame duck session because everybody in America knows there's about to be a major shift in how many seats are being held by which party in both the House and the Senate upcoming in the 2022 elections. So Biden made comments during a sit-down interview with ABC's David Muir, which aired this past Wednesday. And uh, although most of the interview was focused on the rising wave of COVID-19 driven by the Omicron variant, Muir did turn the topic to the Democrats' plan to make dramatic changes in federal election procedures and asked the barely there Biden how he planned to get that done in the Senate that is quite literally split down the middle. Well, his response to that was, and I quote, uh, we'll start with Merce questioning. You know, many of your supporters believe in order to protect democracy in this country, you've got to protect voters' rights. Yet, as we near the end of the year, nothing's been done. It's been blocked by the filibuster. Are you prepared to support fundamental changes in the Senate rules to get this done? Biden just immediately said, yes. No, no fanfare. Another, yes, we're prepared to get that done. So then we were asked, what does that mean? He, he wanted him to elaborate. He wanted to get more details. Yeah, actually doing a, a very tiny amount of journalism right there. So, you know, a, a tiny pat on the back. It means whatever it takes. Change the Senate rules to accommodate major pieces of legislation without requiring 60 votes. Now, in Biden's reply, it appears that he's suggesting that he would support getting rid of the legislative filibuster. Not just for H.R. 1, but possibly for other... <clears throat> air quotes for the radio, major pieces of legislation as well. Some are then asked, so you support a carve-out of the filibuster for voters' rights? Biden's response, the only thing standing between getting voting rights legislation passed and not getting passed is the filibuster. I support making the exception of voting rights for the filibuster. Now, a little later, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, or Psaki as some people like to call her, after all, the P has been silent for too long. (laughs) Everybody's favorite White House ginger. Uh, Well, Jen also confirmed that the president's position on the issue uh, during a Thursday press conference, saying that uh, Biden is prepared to support changes to the filibuster if that's the only thing standing in the way of getting voting rights legislation done. Uh, translation, 
just like court packing, they support doing whatever's necessary to get what they want done, but they don't want to blow it up. They, want, they don't want to just flat out do away with the filibuster because they want to be able to pull the filibuster back out when it suits them. When they're no longer the party in power and they need a way to try and apply the brakes to what the Republicans are going to do, they want the filibuster back. So they don't want to just blow it up and do away with it and just filibuster be gone. They don't want that right now. What they want is to be able to say, we're going to cherry pick certain legislation that just it doesn't apply to. Now, how do you do that without just getting rid of it? Well, simple, Tim. Uh, they make their own rules. They can set the rules. They can change the rules whenever they want. Except there's a reason why the rules are in place. And the reason is the Senate's supposed to be a very deliberative body. It was also supposed to be the place where states were represented and states' rights were taken into account. But, you know, we've blown that out of the water a while back. I'd love to see it return to that. But that's not how it's working right now, so let's, let's stay with the current. It's still supposed to be a very deliberative body. And it's still supposed to be able to make persuasive enough arguments to convince 60 members of the Senate to vote along with something in order to make it happen. See, the House is not as deliberative. The House is closer to the people. And the House can have knee-jerk reactions left and right. But the Senate is supposed to be where we tap the brakes, where we slow the roll, if you will, to make sure that knee-jerk reactions don't just happen, to make sure that we don't pass sweeping gun control laws after uh, something happens at a school. You know, at a time when everyone's very emotional, at a time when even normally strong, staunch conservatives are thinking, when they see children laying out, we've, we've got to do something to try and stop this, not knowing what the right thing to do, and they have that reaction. That's where the Senate, that's where it shines. Our legislative body was designed to have two houses for the exact purpose of grinding things to a halt of flat-out stopping the things that don't pass constitutional mustard as often as you can. Because ideally, you shouldn't have to take very many cases over to the Supreme Court. There should be very few cases that they have to render a decision on based on federal laws being passed. Is this law constitutional? Every step of the way, the legislative and the executive are supposed to have that in their mind, too. Joe Biden is supposed to veto anything he doesn't think is constitutional, not sit around and say, well, I'm going to issue an executive order, even though I know it's not going to stand up. It'll buy you some time. You're not supposed to buy time for things you know aren't legal, Joe. And the same thing can be said back to Donald. The same thing can be said back to Barack. The same thing can be said back to to. George, the same thing can be said to Bill. You can go keep going and going. I, I think once you get much past Ford, you don't run into as much of that happening from the White House. You're not supposed to be looking to pass legislation that you inherently know as a member of Congress, whether you're in the House or in the Senate. You're not supposed to be looking to pass legislation that you know is inherently unconstitutional. 
say, we're going to pass this. We're going to see if we can get the president to sign it. And then we're going to allow it to be law for a while before anybody's actually going to have standing enough to challenge this in court. So, I mean, we can get years and years. And once people are used to it, somebody's likely to just drop the case. Or maybe, maybe we can, by that point in time, have enough activist judges on the bench that they're going to say silly things like, well, we really need to protect the integrity of the court uh, without understanding what that means. Please reference our number one of today's podcast if you haven't, uh, if you didn't hear yesterday's broadcast, if you're listening on the radio. So there you have it. Biden's position on the matter has evolved since 19, I mean, since 2019. His position has evolved. You know, that's back when he said during the campaign that it would be dangerous to get rid of the filibuster. It would be dangerous to get rid of the filibuster. If our legislative body stops being deliberative, if our legislative body stops having these stopgap measures in place so that we can take a breath, that we can pause and evaluate and try to ascertain what the unintended consequences may very well be, then we're going to find ourselves in the middle of a lot of unintended consequences and no way to get out of it. Joe Biden literally said, quoting him now at that time at a campaign stop, that ending the filibuster is a very dangerous thing to do, end quote. Now, there's a number of prominent Democrats that have called for an end to the filibuster, uh, at least with regard to voting rights, arguing that the issue is too important for the traditional rules of the Senate to keep them from getting it done. Except here's the problem with that. Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia, Our democracy is in danger, and we absolutely must act to save it. Except the democracy isn't a democracy. We're a constitutionally federated republic with some democratic values instilled. So your democracy is not in danger. The republic, however, is in danger of you trying to turn us into a democracy. Once again, I'm going to break out the so, so old that the last time I heard it, uh, I uh, was laughing so hard I fell off my dinosaur comment about democracy being nothing more than two wolves and a sheep getting together to decide what they're going to have for dinner. Under true, pure democracy, or uh, as you may refer to it, mob rule, the minority never wins. And you guys are supposed to be about protecting minorities. It seems like you would prefer the republic over the democracy. Because again, democracy, uh, most voters win. Then minorities never win. You can't cobble together a big enough coalition to beat the majority. You'd like to think you could, but you can't. The numbers still don't add up. Our democracy is in danger. Yeah, our democracy is in danger of uh, elections actually having some level of integrity. Our democracy is in danger. Uh, translation, we as the Democrats can't guarantee that we'll win because you're going to cut out all the ways that we use currently to manipulate the system. 
See, we don't refer to it as cheating because the system allows us to make these manipulations. And if it's something that's permissible, then how can you say that's cheating? Vote harvesting. Um, it's permissible. That doesn't make it right or appropriate, and it doesn't mean that you can validate, truly validate those votes. Voter ID laws. Uh, you got to have a photo ID for just about everything you do in the modern world. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm pretty sure that that's reasonable expectation. Late registration into elections. Oh, my goodness. You should be able to register literally two seconds before you go into the voting booth. No, because people need time to verify that you are an actual person living at the address you claim. In fact, I'm a big proponent of of voter registration being well before elections and having a cutoff date well before that election to give you enough time to acclimate to your new community because things may be different there, they may work differently, and your life might be eminently better if you vote the way that works there instead of the way it worked where you came from. But I am actually willing to make a small concession that if you just recently moved there Maybe then you should have a, a, a smaller window, you know, uh, you'd be allowed to register much closer to the election. Now, still, there needs to be time. And election commissions around the country need to be taking the time to check and verify that you are who you say you are and you are living at that address. I'm sorry. Otherwise, you can't adequately claim that you have certified an election. If you can't tell me who's voted has the legal right to vote in said election, then you can't tell me that your election was legit. Period. End of that discussion. How is taking steps to ensure election integrity a attack on voter rights? The truth of the matter is, is it is not. It doesn't keep some of these Democrats from trying to tell you it is. They'll tell you everything from it's racist to it's just an effort to try and overthrow election laws. It's like, no, it's an effort to legally go in and strengthen those election laws to guarantee the integrity of the choices being made in those communities, period. End of that discussion. Anything else is just political crap. Now, you can get plenty of political-level, grade-A, bovine excrement from both sides of the aisle. But when it comes to voters' rights, the Democrats are so far off the reservation that the only people that are buying into this are people that just vote blue no matter who, and they don't care what they're saying. They're not taking the few minutes it would require for you to stop and think and ponder, put some critical thought into what they're saying, and then realize, wait a minute— I want my vote to count appropriately. But if we follow their logic, that, that it's not cheating if it's permissible, even though it's not right and it allows for a lot of erroneous votes to be counted as being correct, that's still not cheating because it's permissible. Well, then maybe the Republicans just need to start playing the same damn game. I mean, I want integrity. I want both sides standing up and doing what's right. But if one side is just never going to do it right, sometimes you do occasionally just have to fight fire with fire. Sometimes you do have to lower yourself to their level in order to teach them how wrong it was. Oh, and make no mistake, they will be so quick to lecture us on how wrong we are for doing the exact same things that they're doing. They will. We've seen it before.
I'm not guessing. I'm not extrapolating. I'm not issuing an opinion. I am reporting to you things of events that have already happened. So, yeah. Yeah. It is another occasion, though, thankfully, where such a rule change would probably end up being determined by Joe Manchin. Manchin could prove to be a major roadblock on this particular issue, as he has repeatedly said that he would not support ending the filibuster in any fashion, even if it were simply a carve-out that would only apply to H.R. 1. Because he recognizes the inherent danger. If you make that one-time carve-out, then you can start just handpicking which next major legislation's too important to not be encumbered by the filibuster. Manchin held up against Build Back Bubkus. And I do think that Manchin will hold up against the effort to get rid of the filibuster. At least I certainly would like to think so. We're at about the halfway point of today's uh, second hour. So, what do you say we uh, actually go ahead and get a little bit of the uh, little bit of the uh, the break in? Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. The break. Why am I having a hard time with the word break? I don't know. That's just crazy. All right, guys, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back right after this. This is Tim Tapp wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas, a very Happy New Year. We wish you the merriest, the merriest, the merriest, yes, the merriest. We wish you the merriest, the merriest, the merriest, you cheer. We wish you the happiest, the happiest, the happiest, yes, the happiest. We wish you the happiest, the happiest, the happiest. The Sixth Amendment of the United States Constitution states that in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy public trial. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, the penalty for trespassing on government property like the United States Capitol Building is six months in jail plus $1,000 maximum penalty. Yet, Americans who went into the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th have been detained for more than 10 months. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and five other representatives have discovered that those still locked up have possibly been physically abused and in some cases denied medical care. Allegedly, authorities are committing misprison of felony by knowing about certain individuals being put in solitary confinement before being indicted. I urge you, to join me in contacting our representatives now and demand the January 6 Americans be released today. Thank you, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, for checking in on those still locked up while the Biden regime abuses this entire republic every single day. I'm Ron Edwards. If you want the best coffee ever, simply go to theronedwards.com and place your Christmas order now for Constitutional Grounds Coffee. The coffee you want in your cup. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. 
This is Tim Tapp wishing you and yours a very Merry Christmas, a very Happy New Year. In 1852, British minister William Booth left the traditional church pulpit in favor of taking the gospel of Christ to the people throughout the streets of London. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. In the late 1800s, what became known as the Salvation Army began marching through the streets of the United States carrying the uplifting message of salvation. The Salvation Army not only preached the gospel... They helped the downtrodden, suffering souls who suffered from homelessness, hunger, and illness. William Booth had grown weary of how cruelly many churches treated or simply ignored those who were suffering the traumas of life. Mr. Booth and his wife Catherine labored tirelessly as they loved people through sacrifice and service. Until very recently, that remained the mission of the Salvation Army. But today, the Salvation Army is led by leftist individuals who have replaced the teachings of Christ with Black Lives Matter, CRT wokeness that has nothing to do with the uplifting of people from poverty, sin, or damnation. What a shame, and what a waste of yet another great and historic institution. I'm Ron Edwards. Please enjoy the coffee you want in your cup. It's Constitutional Grounds. Go to theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. hoping to, to hold on to as much of that Christmas holiday as we possibly can. And uh, as we do that, if you're anything at all like me, as we head into the new year, uh, once I get past Christmas, I'm ready for cold to be over. I start thinking about summertime. I, I want to get into spring and summer and start doing outdoor stuff. And, of course, when I start thinking about going out and doing outdoor stuff, especially if it's with the family, I do start thinking about my blue cooler, which is 
really, really awesome. Uh, if you're not familiar with blue coolers, then let me tell you a little something about them. They are a uh, heavily insulated, mold-fitted uh, cooler. They uh, are on par with the same quality of, you know, that other high-dollar brand, the, the one that's named after the Himalayan Sasquatch. You know the one. Uh, they're every bit as good as them at about half the price of them. So, you know, it's good stuff. Uh, you have anywhere from 30 quarts to 55 quart uh, coolers that are available, and uh, they are really awesome. Like I said, you've got uh, a 90-day money-back guarantee going on. You have a five-year warranty going on. And beyond that, they're constantly running specials. So uh, go check out the website to see what specials are going on. Oftentimes, any purchase over $35 gets free shipping. And uh, uh, some of these bundles get discounted on top of that. And, and they have uh, things besides coolers. They have survival kits. They have gift cards available. The online specials are there for you to just check out. Uh, basically, basically fantastic product, too. I told you before that I've actually tested it. They're a 10-day guarantee to keep your eyes frozen. Uh, well, uh, it, it is well beyond that 10 days. Uh, 10 days is their conservative estimate under most circumstances. Uh, currently up on their YouTube channel, they have a demonstration involving a big box cooler brand, uh, that uh, Himalayan Sasquatch brand I keep telling you about, and then, of course, the blue coolers. Uh, they put a bag of ice in there, and then they lock them up in a sauna, and then they check to see what the temperatures are inside those uh, coolers after uh, so many hours. They constantly checked on them to test them, and it's an interesting test. Plus, they uh, have some pretty good humor on there, too. At least I enjoy the Blue Cooler's YouTube channel's humor. Uh, feel free to check it out, and uh, naturally, uh, they are trying to remind you, don't be an ice hole. Uh, go with Blue Coolers. Uh, yeah, definitely time to start preparing now. For the very hot summer we've got upcoming. So, as always, I'm going to ask you to please... Uh, look down into today's show description if you are listening to the podcast. Copy the full length uh, of the, the link. I mean, the entirety of that link. Copy it, paste it over in your web browser, go visit, and by using that link, that's how they know I sent you. Please, it's a small favor I'm asking. I mean, if you're going to go check out Blue Coolers anyway... You might as well uh, check them out using my link so that they know that I, as an affiliate, they're not a sponsor of the show. I only get paid if you make purchases, but it does at least let them know that there is some merit to be involved and could lead to a sponsorship sometime down the road if enough traffic is generated just from my link. So, yeah, you maybe, even if you're not interested in buying anything right now, you can still help the show to some extent uh, by just going and visiting the website. Anyway. Blue coolers are great, and they're not all blue, by the way, in case you're wondering. But they are fantastic, and I am a fan of the product. I uh, highly recommend you check them out as well. So there you go. Blue coolers, and the blue coolers are great. I really like them. All right, uh, I've got a few things, two stories that I want to get to. Number one, I do still want to continue the conversation we were having about what all is in the Build Back Bubkus. But I also want to talk about this new uh, research uh, data that came out involving Omicron. So I'm going to cut the Omicron segment a little short so we can still try to spend enough time talking about Build Back Bubkiss. But just important enough to make sure that we get it out here. 
Researchers for a new study say that the Omicron appears to be milder than the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus, leading uh, to up to 80% fewer hospitalizations. And, you know, everybody with half a brain has been telling you for a while now, number of cases is irrelevant. It's how bad the cases get that you should be worried about. It's the number of hospitalizations. It's the number of deaths. Omicron is not killing people. Omicron is not putting too many people in the hospital. In We have mainstream legacy, legacy, mainstream legacy media out there trying to tell the people that unvaccinated people are going to the hospital more frequently than under earlier variants. That's not the case. Those numbers aren't out there. They don't exist. So when somebody tells you that, you're being misled for reasons. They want COVID panic to continue. Now, back to this research. Of the people who uh, contract the virus and are hospitalized, they're also 70% less likely to be admitted to the intensive care unit or to be put on a ventilator compared to those with Delta. Now, this particular study was led by South Africa's National Institute for Communicable Diseases. And uh, part of what was said here by Paul Hunter, a professor of medicine at the UK's University of East Anjana, I think, uh, quote, So even though cases of Omicron were less likely to end up in hospitals than cases of Delta, it is not possible to say whether this is due to inherent differences in the relevance or whether this is due to higher population immunity in November compared with the earlier year. So they're not denying that it's not as punishing on you. It's not as dangerous of a virus, but he's still trying to say, well, you know, it's really kind of hard to say why. We'd really still like for you to think that maybe the jab has something to do with it. Now, there was another study that found uh, pretty much the same thing, a separate study out of Scotland by scientists at the University of Edinburgh, uh, along with a few other experts that uh, worked along with them, suggest that the risk of hospitalization was only about two-thirds less with Omicron than with Delta. So the number's not off by that much and probably can be explained by the sample size and the difference in the location and populations. And, of course, the number of folks that were previously jabbed may be a factor as well. So uh, that study also pointed out that nearly 24,000 Omicron cases in Scotland were predominantly among younger adults ages 20 to 39. Younger people are much less likely to develop severe cases of COVID-19, period. Doesn't matter which variants you have, the younger you are, statistically speaking, the numbers say you're probably going to be okay. You're probably not going to have to be hospitalized. Now, again, there's exceptions to every rule, and if you have some comorbidities that are in play, then yes, that's happened. It's something that you'll have to keep in mind. But the point of the matter here is this information is there, it's available, and it's important. Uh, nearly 80%, according to South Africa. Nearly one-third, according to Scotland. That is a lot of cases that are not leading to anything to be concerned about. That's a plus, ladies and gentlemen. That's a good thing. That's not a reason to be panicked. That's not a reason to say, oh, we have to reinstitute masks and vaccine mandates. 
That's a reason to say that this lab-created virus is still following the standard evolutionary path of most viruses. becomes more spreadable, more contagious, but also becomes less dangerous as it continues to evolve. The rationale for the virus is it needs hosts. If you need hosts, you don't want to kill them all quickly. You know, before you can reproduce and need more hosts, you need people to live in order to propagate your virus. Life inherently knows this kind of thing. Life inherently has this ability to evolve in a way that makes sense. It it doesn't really occur to most people that this is even a possibility. How can something that is not sentient still know what it's doing? How can something that's not sentient evolve in such a fashion? Well, clearly there is a reason. That reason is, well, there's a divine plan. (laughs) But most people don't want to hear that, so we'll just say science and leave it at that. All right, with the remainder of the show, I want to continue to take a uh, little bit of a deeper dive into what exactly is in the Build Back Bubkiss stack. Uh, If you listened to the last show, uh, last broadcast, which was two hours from a few days ago, uh, we touched on topics of what exactly the Build Back Bubkiss Act is. We talked about what the real cost of this bill was. We talked about uh, how this bill, uh, how it deals with universal pre-K and child care subsidies, how that would actually affect Americans. And then we also touched on uh, answering the question of would Build Back Better actually increase child care costs? And the answer to that, spoiler alert, it is yes. But there's some other things that I still wanted to get to that we didn't have time for. And if we don't make out all the way through, we will continue with the next broadcast as well because there are some very important points. And right now I want to start with the question of how does the Build Back Bubkiss Act expand Obamacare and other forms of government health care? Now, the Build Back Better Act would overrule the will of the states and shift millions of people out of their health insurance onto less desirable government-run health care plans. That's the first thing it does. Now, according to the CBO from back in October, the BBB Act would swell Medicaid enrollment by 4 million people and extend Medicare subsidies to 3.6 million more people. Meanwhile, 2.8 million people would lose their employer-based health care coverage. Now, the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, left it up to the states to decide if they wanted to expand Medicaid. And 12 of those states declined. The Biden administration doesn't plan to repeat that particular mistake. It simply takes state choice out of the matter. The plan allows people making up to 138% of the poverty level eligible for zero payment plans on Obamacare exchanges. Uh, It also expands the Obamacare, the ACA, by making people who earn up to 400% of the poverty level, that's somewhere in the neighborhood of $106,000 per family of four, going to make those folks eligible for government subsidies. So the bill expands Medicare 
by providing funding for hearing aids and uh, audiologists, audiologists, yeah, uh, hearing checkups uh, for Medicare recipients beginning in 2024. Another phased-in budget gimmick uh, that's there so they can continue to pretend like it doesn't cost as much as it does. Now, how would the uh, BBB Act uh, affect public housing and the safety of suburban families? Well, it's going to. Uh, the BBB Act would require aid recipients to build government housing projects in safe suburban neighborhoods, driving down property values and ratcheting up crime rates, uh, a unavoidable consequence of this effort. Biden's legislation refers to this euphemistically a move to reform zoning codes and reduce barriers to housing supply, elasticity, and affordability. Now, the BBB reinstates the Obama administration's uh, affirmative furthering fair housing, stripping out zoning ordinances and placing government subsidy housing uh, everywhere. And it's uh, attendant crime in every neighborhood is also going to just raise. It's mind-boggling. I mean, the BBB Act offers welfare recipients who live in government housing their choice of the toniest neighborhoods and to the gangs that embed themselves in housing projects a more affluent set of victims. The next question that you may need answered, does the Build Back Bubkist Act actually offer amnesty for 6.5 million illegal aliens? Uh, the answer to that is a uh, strong, affirmative, unequivocal, si, senor. The bill allows approximately 6.5 million illegal migrants to become lawful permanent residents of the United States, a status that would broaden amnesty recipients' eligibility to receive such government programs as yeah, little things like food stamps, Obamacare subsidies, Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, child tax credits, and, of course, the infamous earned income tax credits. Now, the CBO estimates that that will cost U.S. taxpayers nearly half a trillion dollars over the next 20 years. Uh, 483.42 billion, uh, to be precise. Now, as of this past week, the Senate parliamentarian ruled that this provision should not be included in the bill. The bill also acts as a welfare magnet for future illegal immigration. For instance, that universal pre-K we talked about before, that program that's being offered, quote, without regard to the immigration status of the individual, uh, the child in this case, or of any parent of the individual. Yeah, tell me that's not an incentive to continue to break the law. Now, how would the bill affect the U.S. economy, especially what most workers earn? Well, the number one thing is by reducing GDP and killing jobs. The Build Back Better Act reduces real earnings for every group of Americans top to bottom. On average, tax filers in every quintile would experience a drop in after-tax incomes. This, according to analysis from the Nonpartisan Tax Foundation. 
as written, current form of the bill, would eliminate 125,000 jobs and cut the wages of those who get to keep their jobs by anywhere from 0.1%, according to the Penn Wharton budget model, to 0.35%, according to the Tax Foundation. And it would reduce U.S. GDP by anywhere between 0.2%, again, according to Penn Wharton, to as much as 0.48%, again, according to the Tax Foundation. If the temporary provisions were made permanent, Penn Wharton predictions that by 2050, federal debt will increase by 24.4% and that GDP would fall by 2.9% and wages would fall by 1.7%, all that by 2050. In essence, most American workers would make less money in exchange for raising the salaries of childcare workers and other targeted constituencies. So how does Build Back Better affect inflation? Because you keep hearing this, but nobody goes into detail. Well, here it is. Because of the vast front-loaded amount of spending contained in the BBB, there will be a substantial fiscal pulse of $792 billion in the first five years, which, of course, would exacerbate inflationary pressures. So you have these inflationary pressures. You're just going to make them worse. Now, that's according not to Tim Tapp. That's according to Gordon Gray. He happens to be the director of fiscal policy at the American Action Forum. The U.S. is already tied for the highest level of inflation among the world's 35 developed nations. Now, how would the BBB Act affect college tuition costs? That's also another thing that is present. The Build Back Bupkis Act would likely fuel the continual rise of college tuition fees. The BBB would increase Pell Grants by $500. While Democrats present this as making college more affordable, in reality, federal spending goes hand-in-hand hand with higher tuition rates. Federal college loans have risen 328% since 1990, while in-state tuition at four-year public universities rose by 278% during the same time period. That tuition increase perversely benefits the federal government. Colleges seem determined to raise costs and fees no matter what, but federal funding makes the hike more amiable by hiding part of the increase from students and, of course, their parents, should the parents be paying for the tuition. And it increases the federal government's total assets while benefiting university professors and administrators and overwhelmingly Democratic constituency. How would the bill affect home heating prices? Well, the BBB Act fines selected entities in the oil and gas industry for methane emissions uh, beginning at $900 fine per metric ton and eventually increasing to $1,500. These fees could result in the average customer seeing an approximate increase of up to 17% in their natural gas bill or over $100 a year for the average American family, according to the industry leaders back in September. Since these costs, which the CBO estimates will come 
to approximately $8 billion over the next decade will be passed on to consumers. It represents a regressive tax on poor Americans and those on a fixed income. This increase comes on top of the anticipated 30% increase in home heating costs for those who use natural gas. The U.S. Energy Information Administration uh, has verified those numbers. So the uh, BBB also ends all leases for energy exploration in the Atlantic, I'm sorry, in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, or ANWR, further reducing supply and thus raising costs. And with all that having been said, we're still not through this nowheres near extensive deep dive into the BBB as far as what's in it. So Build Back Bubkus is nothing, <clears throat> excuse me, it's nothing but a Democratic spending boondoggle that will allow these folks to make life much harder for everyone in the country rather than make things better, despite all their faulty premises, promises, and lies. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. So we're going to have to leave it there, but we will continue to discuss yet further information that is present. Let me once again remind everybody to please uh, check out uh, both Fine Tuxedos and Blue Coolers, uh, per the links being in today's show description, or visit tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, intothetruth.com, and click on one of the banners for those fine companies along with anybody else. And by doing that, not only do you get to check out some really cool products, but you also get to help support the show. So help me out a little bit by doing that for me, please. Also, Merry Christmas, everybody. This is the last pre-Christmas broadcast uh, it is Christmas Eve. I hope everybody has a great holiday season regardless. We'll still be uh, enjoying the Christmas afterglow uh, as we move into the new year. But uh, please, whatever else you do, whatever else you imagine going on out there, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, Use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Meanwhile, stay uh, safe out there, guys. Uh, stay healthy if you can. And, uh, you know, be smart, even if it goes against your nature. Merry Christmas, everybody, and I am out.